Ninja. Hi everyone and welcome to Geography Ninja and um, this week I just wanted to have a look at wh where the world is for 2020, um, taking a, a dip in into the uh, uncharted waters of futurology, trying to predict what is happening, what might happen in the future, the very near future and um, it's notoriously difficult obviously trying to predict what might happen in the future but I think as a, from a geographer's point of view um, you know, geographers are really well placed to try and uh, estimate what the what the trends might be. Uh, particularly if we're thinking about human geography, geopolitics, social geography, demographics, um, you know, economic change, global shift. I mean, these are all absolutely hundred percent geography, and. Uh, what I've what I've actually what I've been buying for the last few years now is the Economist's uh, annual publication. Um, so last year was the World in twenty nineteen. This year, the World in twenty twenty, and it is an absolute uh, feast, really. I would say for um, someone like me, or probably someone like you, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, uh, who's into geography and wants to sort of have a um, have a connection with the these global trends that are going on. So I've got to say, um, it's, it's, it is a really interesting publication and, and there's almost too much geography here for me to to talk about in, in one podcast. So I'm not going to talk about everything. I'm, I've just pinned it down to a few of what I think are the, the really good geographical points in here. And, and clearly, if we're thinking about 2020, the, the two big issues that relate to uh, geography have got to be number one has got to be brexit um and the the other one presumably we can link in to to, to geography and politics that sort of overlap is is the u.s presidential election of 2020 and whether donald trump uh gains a second term or not um but clearly that's that's just taking a really sort of US and UK centered approach on things and the world is big so there's loads of things going on um that we should be aware of as geographers. Ooh, that's quite interesting. Okay then. So, well, I've just really boiled this down to a, to a few different articles. I obviously couldn't look at look at them all. Well, I have looked at them all, but you know, they're uh, as I said before there's too many really to to go for. So, I've picked a few. The first one uh, I'm looking at is one that I think it was titled something like Anglosphere versus Sinosphere. You might be thinking, what on earth are we talking about there? Well, the Anglosphere means the English-speaking countries and Sino, um, this is S-I-N-O, relates to China. So the article itself deals with, you know, these two different cultures and the fact that there are some barriers between them and probably some suspicions um, of each other uh, as well. So the, you know, the Anglosphere, we're talking about the US, Britain, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and so on. Um, the Sinosphere, well, this is really just China, isn't it? So um, the, the, the whole point of this is that there's a different worldview. Um, so the Anglosphere are, are sort of, you know, they're all democracies, they're, they're relatively open countries. But if we look at China, it's sort of seen as a, a much sterner authoritarian place with a with i think some deference to a leader for life is how the uh, the article puts it so um 
I suppose looking at some of these, uh, you know, there are there are some tensions. So we might look at things like uh, the South China Sea, the Pacific, uh, military um, spending, trade war between the US and China, um, concerns maybe that, like Australia relying too much on on exporting to China, and. So it's looking at some of those differences, but also thinking, well, what are the common goals? You know, what are, what is the common ground that the the Anglosphere and the Sinosphere can cooperate on, such as you know addressing climate change, fighting pandemics, and so on. So I thought that was that was quite a, a good. I've not heard of the the um, that sort of categorization of the uh, the Anglosphere and Sinosphere before now, but there there is clearly some some tensions, but also some opportunities there as well. Another article that caught my attention was about the uh, we 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 apparently we've entered what has been titled the the decade of the yold. Uh, that's the Y O L D. Yold, and this is um, again. This is another expression I'd not come across before. Um, it stands for the young old. That's not a bit of a contradiction in terms, but apparently this is a, a Japanese expression for people between the ages of sixty-five and seventy-five. So I suppose it's the you know in 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 my thinking, I might be thinking like younger retired people. People have just retired, but they can still do things. So this is looking at the at the the fact that we've got an aging population, but the fact that this generation, I, I guess we also refer to them as baby boomers. These are people born after World War Two, so it's usually you know born in the fifties or so, and by around twenty twenty, they're going to be hitting retirement age. Sixty five is usually seen as as retirement age, you know, in a lot of countries. Um, so we might be entering what what could be the peak retirement age for baby boomers. And really the point being made here is that a lot of this this generation are going to carry on working rather than retiring and will continue to have some sort of significant influence um, in things. So <clears throat> apparently the, in, in the rich countries in 2020, there's going to be something like... Um, about 11% of the population is going to be made up of 65 to 74 year olds um that's 11% now if you you know going back to 20 uh, sorry the year 2000 um it's increased it used to be around 8% in year 2000 it's going to go up to 11% in 2020 so we've got a, a you know larger proportion of the population that are in this yold category um, and they're healthier and wealth, wealthier than uh, yolds have been previously. And, um, you know, they're, they're, I suppose, challenging this assumption that people over 65 are going to be, you know, shuffling around in pairs of slippers and um, just looking after the uh, the grandkids. So there, ha- there is clearly some implication um, of this impact. You know, how will it affect countries in terms of, um, retirement age and health spending you know what what type of cons- you know consumer demand i suppose really um that the olds will have so i think it's a really good demographic issue um you know lots of countries have got aging populations um i've just recently been looking at, at japan uh japan's population uh, you know hitting a, a decline 
at the moment and an increasing number of elderly people so you know across across the 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 rich countries that were definitely in that that old zone i do like that expression as well geography ninja <laughs> Okay, well, we couldn't have a podcast on what's going to happen in 2020 without mentioning Brexit. And we, you know, I, I sort of debated whether or not to include this because it's, uh, it might seem like a bit of an obvious one, but I thought, well, I've, I've got to say something on it. Now, the headline in the, in the publication I'm looking at here is actually divided, damaged and diminished. And the article itself obviously was written in, in 2019. And, and since then, there's been a general election in the UK. So the outcome of that election and the the Conservative victory was clearly unknown. But the article does suggest that whatever the outcome, the impact of Brexit is only really going to be a negative one. Um, Now, one of the main issues discussed here is, is the division caused by Brexit. And I think really, you know, whatever side of the Brexit debate you you were on or are on um i i think you know everyone can see that division is not a particularly healthy thing and that has been uh, quite a major um issue really over the last 3 years now um brexit also can be can be expressed largely in geographical terms because it's the way it's framed is really there's a, a division between the metropolitan areas you know the big cities uh, with the metropolitan elite, I put that in inverted commas, metropolitan elite, um, contrasting with the the provinces, with the well, I don't know what to say, I mean, or the ordinary people, you know, whoever isn't the the metropolitan elite. So really, whatever the shape of the withdrawal agreement, um, there's still going to have to be negotiation with the EU regarding the UK's future. And that might go on for, for some time, possibly. I think um, on the global stage, Britain's soft power has been has been dented by Brexit. I think in terms of, of Britain's reputation for diplomacy and and pragmatism, which, um, you know, it's, it's got a long, long history of that. And the article goes on to comment that Britain has failed to effectively acknowledge its reduced role globally following the decline of the British Empire. So, and I was very interested to read that. Um, and it is the theme of a, a really good book. I'm just in the middle of reading at the moment by um, Danny Dawling and um, Sally Tomlinson. And this is called... Uh, Rule Britannia, Brexit and the End of Empire. So I'm sure this is going to be uh, coming into a podcast near you very, very soon. But it, you know, it will be interesting, I think, to see if Britain's relationship with non-EU global powers, such as the USA and, and China, maybe just change significantly. You know, will we end up with a global Britain, whatever that might mean? Anyway, there's no shortage of um, analysis about Brexit. Uh, there. Um, okay, well, another story um, that caught my attention was about Hungary. And um, so, well, before I say anything about that, I think there's there's quite a lot of anniversaries coming up in 2020. Now, one that I just spotted was the fact that in April 2020, it's going to be the 50th anniversary of the breakup of the Beatles. So that's some of us might think that's that's quite a significant um, 
landmark. But apparently 2020 is also, it's the 100th anniversary of the Treaty of Trianon. It's a fact. And, you know, if you're anything like me, you'd be thinking, well, uh, what is that? I've never heard of that before. Well, apparently uh, the Treaty of Trianon uh, followed the First World War and it, it led to the dismantling of the Austro-Hungarian Empire uh, in 1920. So uh, this is where the, the country Hungary lost um, over half of its population, a lot of territory there as well, to neighbouring countries um, such as Romania and um, Czechoslovakia, as it, w- as it was then. Um, and also Ukraine, I think. Um, now, one of the recent developments in Hungary um, relating to the Hungarian Prime Minister, Viktor Orban, um, is that he he's, uh, he's given the right to a Hungarian passport to about 2.5 million ethnic Magyars. So these are, are sort of ethnic Hungarians living outside of Hungary. Um, and also providing some it says subsidies, I'm guessing that, that means some sort of funding to that population. Now, um, the 4th of June was the date when this treaty was signed back in 1920. Apparently it's, it's been sort of rebranded as uh, National Unity Day in Hungary. And this year in 2020, there's going to be a monument being unveiled near the Hungarian parliament which apparently will list the names of around 13,000 uh, towns and villages that were previously part of Hungary and are now in, in other countries because the borders have been withdrawn um, 100 years ago. So, I, I don't know, this is, um, this is a slightly un- unusual uh, idea, um, adding to the sense of loss, maybe, of, of territory that used to be Hungarian and now isn't. Um, but I think... The story, it throws into question some very geographical issues, you know, particularly national borders, uh, the recreation of, of uh, European borders following the First World War, but also links into things like nationalism and ideas about national identity. Um, so that's, um, yeah, that was, again, not heard of that whole theme uh, previously. So look, there's loads of things that could go on in 2020 publications like this might get it wrong but they're coming from a you know a a place of much research and um you know knowledge about trends in the world so um this could have been a massive (laughs) length of podcast um some of the some of the 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 things that uh that are discussed in there are stuff like tensions in the south china sea forthcoming presidential elections um, the Im- impact in Brazil of um, Bolsonaro's um, leadership, the end of the Syrian conflict, you know, what's going on with Africa, sort of ri- rising in terms of economic development and so on. But the final issue I wanted to say something about was separatism. Um, in other words, where countries have a movement, a separatist movement that wants to split away from an existing nation. And um, the the idea... Uh, in the article is really that 2020 could see a surge in separatist movements. Um, So some of the locations discussed, places like Hong Kong, uh, Scotland, Kashmir and Catalonia. So now, you know, for me, uh, the most important, so being that someone 
from the UK. The most important one here is the potential resurgence of Scottish nationalism. So the, the, uh, there was a, an independence referendum for Scotland back in 2014, uh, where Scotland voted to stay in the UK. Now, clearly since there we've had since that we've had the Brexit referendum. Uh, most Scots voted to remain. Uh, voting leave was largely uh, concentrated in England. So, um, you know, lots of pressures on there that, you know, uh, requests really for, for a second second referendum. So we'll see see what, what happens with that. But apparently even bigger pressures may exist in, in other locations, not least of which is China. So, you know, number one, following all the, the demonstrations and riots that we saw in Hong Kong during uh, the latter half of 2019. Um, so, you know, what happens there is that is that going to morph into some sort of pro-independence movement? But also the other location is the western province in China um, of Xinjiang, which is where the there is um, the the Uyghur Muslim population, and um, you know, there's been quite a lot of stuff in the news about the the sort of internment camps uh, or re-education camps. I'm not quite sure exactly what they what they're called in um, that western province of China, but maybe you know is this is this a long term solution? What's what's going to happen? Is is Beijing going to be able to control um, these places that are actually quite distant, quite remote? Um, from the, the sort of Chinese central state. So, um, you know, that's that's also an interesting one. So, you know, really, I, we'll finish off there. I've just picked up a small selection of articles from the publication, but, you know, I think it gives does give a flavour that 2020 has got the potential to be quite a dramatic year in terms of geopolitics. We haven't even touched on environmental issues, and we know that, you know, there's increasing... Uh, calls to action, calls for action regarding climate change, biodiversity, um, microplastics, you know, all of these th- other things going on. So uh, there's some good geography out there. All right, so that's it. I will say goodbye at this point. Have a good one, and um, I'll speak to you again very soon. Okay, bye-bye. 